invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 11. We'll be looking the whole chapter, uh, verses 1 through 10. If you have not brought a Bible with you this morning, our passage is found on page 53 in the Pew Bibles and the Pew Racks in front of you. We continue our Sunday morning sermon series through Exodus, and we begin now uh, a series of uh, chapters, a long discussion leading up to the final plague, a plague that stands alone in the book of Exodus. We've seen the severity of the plagues increasing as we have moved along. There have been plagues against creation, plagues affecting animals, and now we see Uh, plagues significantly affecting human beings in the death of the firstborn. So let's look at this passage together, Exodus chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, yet one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn of the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. And thus far, God's holy word. Let's go to him in prayer. Our God, we pray that you would open our eyes this morning, that we might see wonderful things in your word. And you have promised to us that when you send your word out, it will not return to you empty, that it will accomplish the purposes that you have set for it. And so we pray this morning. Uh, that you will work your perfect will through your word in our hearts this day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So here we are approaching our final plague. It was actually the first plague predicted, and it's the last one that's carried out. Turn back with me to uh, Exodus chapter 4, or just listen as I read. Uh, We read in verses 22 and and 23, God says this uh, to Moses. He says, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, 422, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Israel is my firstborn son, God says. In other words, God is saying here, I have a special relationship with Israel. That's the essence of this language here. God's people, Israel, are the apple of his eye. They are the ones that he cares for. They are the ones that he watches over. They are the ones that God loves, his people. And if he refused to let them go, Pharaoh, Moses is to say to him, then I will kill your firstborn son. What does this mean? The firstborn son was the primary heir in any family. To kill the firstborn son was a threat to social stability. It would include, of course, the death of the firstborn of Pharaoh, the firstborn of the king, the heir to the throne. He was seen as a son of a son of God and himself a God in Egypt. This is also a, a, a plague of miraculous selectivity. Only the firstborn of every house in Egypt. We're not talking widespread death. We're talking only the firstborn who were killed, no matter the age. From the, from the youngest, if it was the firstborn, to... to to children who were the firstborn, to older children who were the firstborn, or even adults who were the firstborn. Incredible selectivity. Only God can bring this about. And in fact, we read here in this text that God does bring it about in verse 4. God says, I will go out and kill the firstborn in every house. This is the climactic plague, and of course, the creation of man on the sixth day was the climax of creation. Now we see this plague coming. All who were made in God's image, or the firstborn who were made in God's image, are killed in this plague. But first we see in the first three verses of our passage this morning, God's generosity to his people. God's generosity to his people. We begin in verse 1, the Lord said to Moses. Now this appears to be in Pharaoh's presence. Some scholars say this had taken place previously, 
But if you, if you look at the, the previous chapter, the end of chapter 10, and remember last Sunday, Moses has been in the presence of Pharaoh, uh, at this, during this plague of darkness, and Pharaoh in verse 28 says, get away from me, take care never to see my face again from the day you see it. Uh, my face, you will die. And Moses said, as you say, I will never see your face again. And immediately the Lord says uh, to Moses. So it seems to be a continuation of the previous account. Moses probably had not left and then come back. God, as Dr. Currid argues and other commentators argue, argue uh, God gives him this uh, pre- uh, 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 plague, this uh, predicted plague uh, in Pharaoh's presence. And the word here, plague, as it's translated in the ESV, is actually a different word from the word plague, a different Hebrew word from the word that's been translated plague earlier in the book of Exodus. The word refers to typically a physical blow. In other words, this is a chastisement. It's a different kind of blow. It hurts more. It is more personal. Pharaoh, in other words, is really going to feel this one. He's been able to, to, to have the other plagues hid and it hasn't really affected him enough. This one is going to be different. And it's going to lead to a different result. As God says to Moses here in verse 1, when he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Completely. No restrictions. Remember in the past, Pharaoh has said, well, you can go, but only the men can go. Or you can go, but you've got to leave your animals behind. Now he's going to drive them out completely. Men, women, children, animals, everything. Go. A different result. No restrictions. Even with a sense of urgency, drive you out. Get out of Egypt. Before even worse things happened. For Moses, there's no more bargaining. Who hasn't, who actually, he doesn't have to bargain or even have Pharaoh try to bargain with him. He's standing his ground. He's been uncompromising. And finally, this uncompromising Stance is rewarded. Rewarded. This is an encouragement, or it should be encouragement to us. God rewards the uncompromising stand of his people. Not immediately. And there might be hardships along the way. But God rewards the uncompromising stand. The uncompromising stand for the gospel will ultimately rewarded by our good God. 
We also see here that God prepares his people for the exodus in verses 2 and 3. He says, speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold. We also see that the the Lord gave them favor in the sight of the Egyptians, verse 3, and that Moses himself was great in the land of Egypt in the sight of Pharaoh's servants. So God, first of all, prepares his his people for the Exodus. He gives them favor. We actually saw that once again back when God first appeared to Moses in chapter 3, verse 21 and 22. God said, I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry, clothing, you shall put them on your sons and your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians." God gives favor in the sight of the people. God, by the way, had actually foretold that to Abraham. You go back to Genesis chapter 15. God's promises never fail. And here God is instructing his people to be ready to go. In one sense, as Dr. Currid points out, this was a material judgment as well, as well as supplying their needs. A humbling of Egypt. We also see here in verse 3 that God is the God who changes hearts, giving Egyptians, giving the uh, Israelites favor in the eyes of the Egyptians. Even Moses being great in their sight, as verse 3 tells us. In fact, we're going to see in verse uh, chapter 12 that even some of these Egyptians appear to have been converted to the Lord. God does great things through his servants, even simply their, their testimony and their stand for the truth. We read, for instance, in Acts chapter 5, verses 13 to 14, that none of the people... Luke writes, none of the rest dared join them, that is the church, the believers, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. None dared join them, but they held them in high esteem, and yet people were joining them. Believing in the gospel as God worked in their hearts. We've been studying Philippians in the adult Sunday school class on Sunday mornings. We've seen that the gospel spread, the, 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 the gospel spread even through the palace guard and even some at the end of Philippians of Caesar's household became believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here it seems they knew God's power, but of course most were not converted, were not converted at all. But here we see a couple things. One is, as Matthew Henry puts it, Israel is paid for her work in one sense. 
Matthew Henry writes this, One way or other, God will give redress to the injured who in a humble silence commit their cause to him. One way or other, God will give redress to the injured who in humble silence commit their cause to him. But we also see here that God is providing for his people. There is a long journey in the wilderness ahead. And God provides for that journey. God provides for the needs of his people. Many of you know the story of George Mueller, the great missionary from the 1800s who also coordinated many orphanages, especially in Bristol, England. He never asked for money, uh, but he was a man of prayer. He was a man of of great faith. He cared for over 120,000 orphans throughout his life. He shared the gospel in 42 different countries. In his journals, he records recorded miracle after miracle of, of, of God's provision. And in one, one case, he, he recorded this, recorded as told by another biographer. One morning, all the plates and cups and bowls on the table were empty at an orphanage. There was no food in the larder and no money to buy food. The children were standing, waiting for their morning meal. When Mueller said, children, you know we must be in time for school. Then lifting up his hands, he prayed, Dear Father, we thank thee for what thou art giving, going to give us to eat. There was a knock at the door. The baker stood there and said, Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I felt you didn't have bread for breakfast, and the Lord wanted me to send you some. So I got up at 2 a.m. and baked some fresh bread and have brought it. Mr. Mueller thanked the baker, and no sooner had he left when there was a second knock at the door. It was the milkman. He announced that his milk cart had broken down right in front of the orphanage and that he would like to give the children the cans of fresh milk so he could empty his wagon and repair it. God provides for his people who trust in him. Second thing we see in our passage this morning is God's judgment on his enemies. God's judgment on his enemies. We read in verse 4 that God goes out. And this happens at about midnight He's telling it here uh, to Moses about midnight. I will go out. Midnight would have been a description of the darkest part of the night. It would have been a time of fear for the Egyptians. The sun god would have departed in a time when in ancient Egypt chaos reigned. We read in in verse 5 that every firstborn was going to be put to death. Everyone with, without exception. Not a house, as 12 
30, chapter 12, verse 30 is going to tell us not a house in Egypt had someone that was not dead. We read here that it's from the firstborn of Pharaoh to the, the slave that works at the handmill, the most menial, the, the lowest job. In other words, from the greatest to the very least, the firstborn will die and all in between. No one will be exempt. And even an interesting statement here, even the cattle will die. Even the cattle will die. Why? It's hard to know exactly. The cattle did have divine status in Egypt, but cattle were also created on the sixth day, the same day that man was was created. But isn't it amazing to think about that God distinguished even the firstborn of the cattle to put to death? Verse 7, we see a great cry is going to go out, a great cry perhaps to their gods, a god uh, or, or, or a cry of distress. What's interesting about this cry in the Hebrew, it's the same word that we see back in chapter 3, verses 7 and 9, where the Israelites cry out to God. What we have here is God's just retribution. A great cry. God's just Retribution. And then in verse 7, not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast. Not a dog shall growl. Dogs in the ancient world were not cute pets that we have up on our lap or whatever it might be. They were dirty scavengers out and about. Some commentators actually suggest uh, since the Egyptian god of the dead was sometimes depicted as a dog, that that is somehow here connected to that. But the point here in verse 7 is that God makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Judgment on those who oppose him, salvation for his own people. Of course, this judgment on Israel, on Egypt, excuse me, absolutely devastating. Emotionally, nationally, John Mackay in his commentary said the destiny of the family was focused on the firstborn son, the chief heir. He had the responsibility for the well-being of the family, the future well-being of the family. The firstborn of Pharaoh was responsible for the future of the nation. In many ways, this would leave Egypt's society in ruins and in chaos. And yet God's judgment here is just. 
is just. Israel is my firstborn. And as Phil Riken puts it, Dr. Riken puts it, Exodus began with attempted genocide. It began with attempted genocide. The killing of all male babies. This is just judgment. As Dr. Riken puts it, God's act of justice brought mercy to his people. Richard Sibbs, in his work, the Puritan Richard Sibbs, in his work, The Art of Self-Humbling, it's a work based on Second Chronicles chapter 34, where God declares judgment on Israel and Josiah, King Josiah, humbles himself. And God says to Josiah, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and its inhabitants, he goes on to say, I will delay my judgment until after you have deceased, departed. Sib says this, Josiah humbled himself. And certainly this is that true humiliation, the humbling of ourselves. For it is no thanks for a man to be humbled by God as Pharaoh was. For God can humble and pull down the proudest that do oppose his church. God by this gets himself glory. But here is the glory of a Christian, that he has received grace from God to humble himself, which humbling is to bring our affections to bow to God, to humble ourselves. Many are humbled that are not humble. Many are cast down that have proud hearts still as Pharaoh had. What does the Bible command? What does God desire of you, O man? But that you walk humbly with the Lord your God. Finally, and very briefly, in verses 8 through 10, we see God's jealousy for his own glory. His jealousy for his own glory We see here that the servants of Pharaoh come down to Moses, or Moses again is telling what's going to happen. They will come down to me and bow down to me, saying, get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. They they, they come down. These servants would have been the royal officials, and they come down as uh, Dr. Stewart, Dr. Doug Stewart puts it in his commentary. They, they come down literally off the platform from standing next to Pharaoh on his throne. And they come down in humiliation and bow before, before Moses. They abandon Pharaoh and they say to Moses, go, get out. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Moses here leaves Pharaoh's presence without being dismissed. And it says in the the text here that Moses goes out in hot anger, a righteous anger. 
as he leaves the presence of, of Pharaoh. As Matthew Henry puts it, he was grieved by the hardness of heart. And indeed, that's what God's people should often or should sometimes feel. Anger. Grieved by the hardness of heart. It's what our Savior felt. We see it several times in the New Testament. Mark 3, 5. As one instance, Jesus looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And the passage ends that Pharaoh would not listen for the Lord had hardened his heart. Why, as the Lord says in verse 9, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. That my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. God does all things for his own glory. He shows his power. He shows his supremacy. He hardens some. He softens others. All for his own glory. And all for the good of his own people. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Our God, how we thank you that you indeed are a sovereign God. That you are great. That you are mighty. Thank you that you rule over our hearts, O God. How we pray that you would soften them more and more each day. And that you would draw our hearts to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.